You are listening to the First Baptist Jinx podcast. To learn more about FBC Jinx, including our gathering times, visit us online at fbcjinx.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Cody Brumley. All right, well, welcome to First Baptist Jinx. Uh, church family, always great to be with you. Uh, friends and guests, we're so glad that you are here as well. We are in the book of Luke. And so if you have your Bibles, head to Luke. It's in the New Testament. And uh, just head to the right a little bit. We're going to finish up chapter 5, get into chapter 6. Uh, on your way uh, to finding Luke chapter 5, I just want you to think about this. Think about things that don't mix. Things that don't mix. Um, and if you're like a crying preacher, all right, fine. Um, we'll, we'll get through this together. Things that don't mix. So we, uh, my family, we got to host uh, some of these students in our home. We had the seventh grade girls in our house. We, they had not been there for like five minutes before I heard the words Oreos and mayonnaise. Amen. I was like, nope, 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 right? So like we stop and I'm going, what? Uh, and then thankfully she was like, yeah, I don't know why I said that. I've never, n- never really done that. And I was like, okay, I thought we were going to have to like go have her check for a, like a head injury because those don't mix. Oreos and mayonnaise, it just, there's a whole lot of things in life that don't mix. And I want us to think about that because what Luke is about to show us as we work through this book is that Jesus, Jesus doesn't mix. He doesn't mix with things. And, the, and what I mean is we can be tempted because we've seen Jesus save the fisherman and the tax collector and the leper, and we watch him changing all kinds of different people. And we're like, oh man, Jesus can reach everybody, so, so he must mix with everything. But Jesus doesn't mix with everything. What does he do? He changes everything. The biblical Jesus, when you meet him, he doesn't mix with your life, he changes it. It's the only option, which means... If you don't want to change, if you're happy with how you are, if you're satisfied with these certain beliefs and these certain things and you apply Jesus, you are going to find yourself in tension with him. You're going to find yourself opposing him. And we started to see that last week. If you were here last week in Luke 5, we see the Pharisees and scribes start to rise up as opposition against Jesus. They had a problem with who Jesus was eating dinner with. And Jesus used their opposition to reveal truth about himself. This is what he always does. When you experience opposition, God is always revealing something that is true about him. And the difficulty is sometimes we get so fixated on what's opposing us that we are blind to what God is showing us. And I I don't want to miss it. So as we watch this week, his opposition continue to increase. Commit. I'm not going to get so focused on what's opposing Jesus. I want to see what he's showing I want to see the great truth that is here. So today we're going to look at three different challenges to Jesus and one great truth about him. Now the first challenge he experiences in this opposition is around the issue of fasting. So fasting, uh, just real simple, is going without one thing for more of another. So uh, Old Testament fasting was in lieu of food. The time I would have given towards food, I give towards prayer. Really simple. And this was a discipline that they had. And the problem they're going to have with Jesus' disciples essentially is that they're just too joyful. That's the issue. Can you imagine if that was the biggest problem with Christianity right now? People are like, you know what I don't like about Christians? Too joyful. Can't stand it. Drives me. Like, that's, that's what the Pharisees have a problem with. So here it is in verse 33. 
chapter 5, they, this is the general population, just kind of the people, said to Jesus, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. They don't even ask a question. They're just pointing out things. But they're like, this feels weird that all the other disciples that are really serious about their faith, they fast and pray, but not yours. Yours have a good time. They just, they seem to be joyful. Uh, And what we know from other biblical writings is when the Pharisees would fast, they'd walk around and look really gloomy and sad so everybody knew that they were being super spiritual and fasting. And clearly they knew when John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples fasted. So it was like a show of how spiritual they were, but they weren't doing it. So Jesus responds to this confusion on their part by asking them a question. Verse 34, Jesus said to them, can you make the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. So Jesus responds with, with this illustration about a bridegroom. This is the, one of the most important ways that we have to understand who Jesus is. I just want to just step into this real quick. Jesus, in this story, is associating himself as a bridegroom, and God gave the Jewish marriage process to mirror the, the process of the salvation of humanity. So in the Jewish marriage process, you have a father who selects a bride for his son, and then he would send the son, and the bride has to accept the son, and then he pays the price for the bride, and at that point, they're married. But then he leaves, and he has to go prepare a place for her. Once that place is prepared, he comes back, gathers his bride, brings her home, and there's this enormous feast, and their life begins. That's the story of the Bible. God has said those of faith I have chosen for my son. He has paid the price for them. When they respond to his choosing, he then goes and prepares a place. That's the season we're in. Jesus preparing a place for us, but he's promised he will come again, gather his bride, take us home. That's Revelation, the great feast. So in this, our moment, yeah, we fast, we wait, we long for Jesus' return. But in their moment, Jesus was there. Which means this. Jesus fulfilled what they were fasting for. This is what Jesus is telling them. My disciples don't fast because there's no reason to fast because I'm here. Because when the Old Testament, when they fasted, they would fast for things like, God, come now. Or God, save us. And Jesus is like, hello. That's what I'm doing. Right? So it'd be weird for his disciples to fast and be like, save us. And Jesus is like, I'm working on it, man. Right here. God, come be with us. Hello. I'm here. And the Pharisees, like, they were blind to it. It's this old preacher story, I think, of there was a flood, and this guy climbs onto his roof, and, uh, he, and he prays, like, God, save me. And so this person comes by on, like, a makeshift boat, and they're like, come on, I'll, I'll get you to safety. And he's like, no, God's going to save me. And so then a motorized boat comes by, and they're like, hey, we're here, climb in. And he's like, no, God's going to save me. And then a helicopter comes by, and they're like, climb up, we'll save you. And he's like, no, God's going to save me. And then a narwhal pops up, and it's like, Hi, buddy. (laughs) Do you need saved? No, talking narwhal. God's going to save me. I added that last part. (laughs) And then the guy drowns. And yikes. And and he's up there and he looks at God and he's like, God, where were you? And he's like, what else did you want? Right? Like, in the same way, whenever we decide... God's provision, God's love, God's care for me has to look like this. 
we tend to miss all the ways that God loves us and God provides and that God's caring for us. We can get so fixated on God, you're gonna, you gotta answer my prayers this way, it's gotta look like that. And that's exactly where the Pharisees were. They locked in on this is exactly how it is that God's gonna work and we're gonna be right and everything's gonna go our way and Jesus was there and they missed it. And they didn't even realize, not only was he fulfilling everything that they were fasting for, so they didn't need to fast right now. He was also gonna give them a new fast. Because he says, hey, my disciples, they're gonna fast one day, but instead of fasting for God to provide, God, please provide. Now, after Jesus has been here, we fast from his provision. When I fast and I practice this discipline, I go without to say, God, I wanna be more aware of the way you've already provided, more aware of what you've already done, more aware of what's already true. I'm not praying for a new thing. I'm praying I'm aware of the certain thing that's already been done. It's a better fast. So Jesus fulfilled the old fast and then gave them a better one. He's going to do the same thing with the law. The law is issue number two. The second opposition to him has to do with the law that his disciples were just too free. Looks like this. We're going to skip down to Luke 6, verse 1. We're going to come back to that parable, but the parable is the the main point of the whole text. We're going to save that. Uh, Verse 6, chapter 6, verse 1. On a Sabbath... While he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked some heads of the grain, rubbed them together, and they were, they were eating them. And some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Now, this is a pretty interesting scene. You have to wonder, why are the Pharisees hanging out at the edge of a field? I just, I mean, you get the picture that maybe there's like some Pharisee like dressed as some grain just waiting, right? Like, caught you! Because it's starting to feel a little sketchy. And what do they do? They do the police thing. How many of you guys have been pulled over by the police? Uh, students, look at your parents right now. How many? I got, go, hey, this is a safe place. Let's raise those hands. I've been pulled over. My people, sinners. Um, so we, when you get pulled over, you know what happens? The police officer comes up and he says, do you know why I pulled you over? I've always wanted to be like, to celebrate my good citizenship. Is, is that, I'm assuming that's why, just for encouragement. No. They're eliciting a confession from you, right? I want to just hear you admit that you've already done something wrong. Jesus just got pulled over. They said, we already know what you're doing is unlawful. We just want to know why. And Jesus does not confess to doing anything unlawful. Instead, he answers with a story. Verse 3, Jesus answered, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those with him? He entered the house of God. He took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those with him. And so he said to them, the son of the man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus answers with a story, pretty funny, by the way, from 1 Samuel 17. These Pharisees, Jesus is like, oh, did you not read that part? Maybe you skipped it when you were reading. But David, your great king, and Ahimelech work together in Ahimelech who gets to decide like what's lawful or not lawful according to the will of God says, hey, it seems right that you could eat this. Why? Because mercy triumphs over judgment. Why? Because the Sabbath is a gift for good. It's not a law to crush us. It's actually a gift from God. And so they judged it was right. So in this moment, what happens is the disciples, Jesus puts in the category of David and his friends who had a need from the provision of God, and God provided. That's a good thing on the Sabbath. It's the same thing that we're doing. The edge of the field, Leviticus tells you, what is to be left for the sojourner and the wanderer. So that was a provision to God to meet the needs of people. So God's gonna care for people. 
And I don't know if you guys are doing your reading plans or not. Uh, my D group, the guys I meet with, we're in the middle of our reading plan, and we just got to Exodus. So we just read about the very first Sabbath God gave his people. Sabbath is a gift from God to his people, that they could trust his provision, and that God, they would realize that God does good for them. If you want to practice a good Sabbath, pause, pray, and play. Those are three things to do on the Sabbath. Pause, pray, and play. Those are just things I go through each time I do. But... But here, it's actually more about the, than the Sabbath. It's about the law. Because while he associates them with this story and going, whoa, no laws were broken, he says something bigger. What does he say? The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Son of Man. If you see that in your Bible, that's Jesus. That's how Jesus talks about himself. It's a favorite word that he used for himself from Daniel chapter 7. The Son of Man is given all authority by God. And so he says, the Son of Man, me, is Lord, total authority of the Sabbath, the law. Jesus just said, I am the final word on what is lawful and unlawful, what is right and what is wrong. I'm the deciding thing. That's a huge claim to be the final decisive word on all things right and wrong. Nobody holds that but Jesus. If I ever stand up here and I'm like, I'm the final word on what's right and wrong, just kick me out. Take me, or take me to get my head checked because maybe I'm like an Oreo mayonnaise person. Like we've, Jesus alone, he's the final word. Now, with a claim like that, you need to prove it. Remember what he did last week? Last week, he said, your sins are forgiven. And they're like, who are you to forgive sins? He's like, how about I make this lame man walk? Remember that moment? He's going to do the same thing here. I am Lord of the Sabbath, the final word on the law. How do we know? Because of what happens next. The third opposition is around the Sabbath. Essentially, their problem was that Jesus was too compassionate. They're going to set Jesus up here because they want to see Jesus trade off being compassionate to someone in need in order to keep the law. Here's what happens on another Sabbath. So here we are, we're on the Sabbath. He entered the synagogue and he was teaching and a man there whose right hand was withered or it kind of means dried up. It, it, was, it was no good. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so they might find a reason to accuse him. Quick pastoral note. If you find yourself watching other people's lives to see if they can trip up and prove that you were right, then you are wrong, all right? You've left the gospel, you've left grace. You've, that, that is not how a holy person lives, all right? And we can get there in our humanity, we can. If you find yourselves there, repent and run to Jesus. So they're watching so they can accuse him, verse eight. But Jesus knew their thoughts. And so he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he arose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? to save a life, or to destroy it. And after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. And the big picture here is Jesus has proved he's Lord of the Sabbath. Why? Because he's in the synagogue teaching on the Sabbath and God works a miracle through him. So clearly God is showing favor to what Jesus is saying. He's affirmed, hey, God stands by this as well. And isn't it a great irony? Did you see how Jesus healed him? How much work did Jesus do on the Sabbath? None. He spoke. 
Stretch out your hand. That's it. And on a different note, can you imagine being that guy? I'll I'll tell you, I can. Because what's really being said here is think about the part of your life that is dried up, that is not what it should be, that's withered, that doesn't look like life should look. And maybe even if you were to think about it long enough, if you were to admit it out loud, there's some embarrassment associated with the fact that that's a part of your life. Jesus looks at this man with the withered hand. He says, hey, take what is withered and dried up, and I want you to expose it in front of everybody. It takes a lot of faith to say, I'm willing to expose what is wrong in my life in front of everybody. And in his obedience to follow Jesus' command, he finds healing. That is still how Jesus works today, by the way. That he says, hey, take what is dried up and withered and gone and hidden and broken in your life. And when you bring it to the church, you bring it to your small group, you bring it to people that love you, and you expose it and say, I believe that God has grace over it, you find healing and restoration in it. Don't walk around with it hidden. Reveal it and watch God restore it. So he has that moment, and in all of this, Jesus just doesn't let the moment keep him from being compassionate. He actually uses compassion as a means to reveal his position, which is totally upside down, isn't it? That's our new, uh, new series next week. We start upside down kingdom as we move through this because everything's reversed. In our world, if you've got a position of authority, you kind of lord it over people. People got to know who you are. But when Jesus had the ultimate position of authority, he used acts of compassion to show it to people because true authority leverages it for compassionate acts. And so that's how Jesus does this. And in this way, Jesus, by the way, shows uh, my favorite model of leadership, just a quick leadership, Christian leadership hack for you. It's uh, the acronym ETCH. He shows empathy for the man in need. He shows transparency. The Pharisees are hiding, waiting to see what he's going to do. And right out in front of everybody, he does what he always does. He does transparency and consistency. He's teaching. He's healing. He is who he is, no matter what's on the table. Always going to be the same. And he does it with humility. So empathy, transparency, consistency, and humility. That's Christian leadership at its best. And that's what erodes through people's protective layers they put up to experience Jesus. And Jesus is doing it right here in this incredible way. The problem is, we see their response. Jesus heals somebody, and they are infuriated. They've moved from confused to tense to angry at Jesus. Why? Because Jesus doesn't mix with their life. He's either got to change it, or they experience no part of them. And that's what the parable is about. We're going to go back to this parable in the middle that connects all of this. Verse 36 says, Jesus told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new one and the piece from the new will not match the old. Then he jumps to a different parable. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put in fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking the old wine desires for new, saying, hey, the, the old's good. The old is good enough. The old... Suits me well. I don't need anything new. Now, what's Jesus talking about here? When he's talking about clothing and he's talking about wineskins. Well, he's talking about their life, isn't he? Do you guys see it? He's talking about their life. The Pharisees, for them it was Judaism. Now, don't write it off if you're like, well, good, because Judaism isn't my issue. All right, so find yours. Whatever your worldview is, 
and it may even be a distorted version of Christianity, find that worldview and realize that Jesus says, hey, I don't, I don't mix with the old. That's the great truth, right? I don't mix with the old. Because you can't take Judaism and just try to patch me onto it. If you do that, you have diminished who I am and what I really am about, and you've also broken this. Everything fails. You can't pour me into old habits and old lives. Like, you can't keep living the way you want to live and just add Jesus to it. I'm just going to pour Jesus into it. Because when you do that, it diminishes who Jesus is. Misses the whole point of what Jesus brings. And it ruins the old thing. It leads to destruction of the old. He's talking about their lives. And he's talking about our lives. Jesus doesn't mix with things. He changes everything, which means Jesus changes everything or nothing. Those are the options. You can't add them to your life. I say, okay, Cody, so what are you saying that I can't have family first and then Jesus be subject to that? Or I can't be career first and have Jesus subject to that? I can't put uh, my voting first and Jesus subject to that? Or my gender first and Jesus subject to that? Or my dating life first and Jesus subject to that? I can't have this here and then just add Jesus to it? No, you can't. Jesus won't allow it. And that's not mean or closed-minded of Jesus, friends. It's the best thing he can do because Jesus knows all those things I listed, right? Whether it is uh, politics or family or fun or relationships or dreams, all of these, they're great gifts. Oh, those are great gifts. They're terrible gods. And Jesus loves us too much to think that those things can save us or give us identity or change who we are. Says you cannot just add me like a patch to it that diminishes me and it ruins that. You can't just pour me into that behavior. You can't keep acting like you're acting, living like you're living, and think, oh, I'm just going to pour some Jesus into it. No. It wastes what he offers and will lead to your destruction. Jesus says, new wine deserves new wineskins. The only way to experience Jesus is to leave everything to receive everything. It's what the disciples did. Remember that? So far, we've heard it twice. The disciples, they left everything for Jesus. When you leave everything, he changes everything. Paul writes about this extensively through the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians 3, he talks about this moment where we are being transformed into the image of God, but it only happens once you look to God. Because if you're looking to rules or some other worldview or some other practice to save you, it won't. And Jesus will not be conformed to your image. He transforms us to his. And there's nothing better. Most attention people trying to follow Jesus feel in their lives is when they're busy trying to conform Jesus to theirs. And they spend a lot of time angry at other people and a lot of time in tension with other people and a lot of time mad at themselves and a lot of time down. And it's not joy that marks their life and it's not freedom marking their life and it's not compassion marking their life. And do you know why? It's because they're trying to patch Jesus into a life without changing who they are. Y'all, that's exhausting. Don't do it. Instead, do the better thing. Do what many of you students have already done. Many of you adults have already done. Instead, you leave everything. You say, God, I believe that you are making me a new thing. So all of the other things I previously believed, all the things maybe even I want to believe or culture wants me to believe, I'm going to let you be the final word on everything. And in that, 
you become a new person and then you can experience the fullness of Jesus. And when you've left everything, you find everything. You get to walk in joy. You get to walk in freedom. You get to live lives of compassion. Why? Because you're actually experiencing what Jesus brought. You're experiencing the biblical Jesus. And that's the invitation for all of us. This text invites all of us to be confronted with the biblical Jesus who will not mix with our lives. He will not bless old behaviors. We have to leave it all to receive it all. And it is good. So if you are a disciple in here, disciple of Jesus, you've left it all, you've turned to him, the invitation is keep following the biblical Jesus. Keep leaving it all behind. Don't, like the Pharisees, start picking up all these other habits and all these other traditions and all these other things that Jesus has to look just like you. Don't do that. Wake up every day and say, Jesus, I don't want you to look like me. I want to look like you. Tell me what needs to go. Every day. And maybe if you're more like the man with the withered hand, you're like, I am the old life. I know I've got the old life. I know what I look like everywhere else and what I play at, maybe at church or around certain people, but I know who I am. Jesus can make you new. Leave it. Today, it can happen in your seat. When we go to respond, we have people stand up to pray, and in that moment, you talk to God because he hears you. And you express faith in him because he's given it to you, and you say, God, I believe you. I'm leaving the old. I want new. And know that God still works miracles and he's got one waiting for you. But if you find yourself in the middle and there's tension in your faith, let God show where maybe you've been trying to pour him into old behaviors and old beliefs or maybe where you're trying to patch things together and say, well, I I really like this sin so I just want to be able to add Jesus to it and, and say it's okay. If you feel that tension, don't diminish Jesus and don't, and don't waste your life. Repent from that, leave that, and follow the biblical Jesus. The joy and the freedom and compassion. Let me pray with you. God, I ask that you would continue to draw us towards you. I thank you for this, for this text, for those stories. So we can know that you are not something that mixes with our lives, but you are what changes our lives. God, thank you for that. And thank you for that in my own soul. I pray right now over those in this room, that you would have their total attention. For the ones that don't know you, God, call them to life right now. Let them know that they can surrender. They can confess faith in you. They can be saved, just like the young man before church. God, for those that are in tension and you're convicting right now about them trying to live in the middle, God, would you save them from that? Bring them to you with a fresh, youthful heart that says, I want what's new. And for those of us that are following you, God, thank you for continuing to make us new day after day after day. You are so good. God, move us now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to our podcast. We hope that you've been encouraged and challenged to take steps closer to Jesus. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, share with your friends. It really does make a difference. And lastly, make sure to follow us on all of our social media at FBC Jinx to keep up with all that's going on in the life of our church. Again, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week.